21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. I do feel good. That's kind of the message that I really want to try to share with anybody that wants to listen. Is it's it's okay to try something new. And I have too many friends from my performing world that are extremely talented in other aspects of their life, and they're not letting themselves develop that. Because they're too afraid of saying, I had this dream of being a Broadway actor. It never really came to fruition. And they're just kind of keeping on hanging on to that because they feel like they can't be an actual successful human being until they've, you know, stepped foot on Broadway. When they are some of the most talented, you know, like photographers, fashion designers, it, you know, personal trainers, florists, all of this type of stuff. but they're not letting themselves fully commit to that new dream. And I think everybody needs to know that it's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. How did you transition from being an actor, Broadway actor, and it's a Broadway actor, not actor, Broadway actor, dancer, singer, to uh, being chef? So you've asked the $100,000 question, I guess, as it were. One of the things with the entertainment industry that always was, it never really sat right with me, is it's not necessarily just about talent. There are so many other aspects that go into the entertainment industry. So much of it is based on your physical appearance. A lot of it is based on who you know, the reputation that you've built, good or bad. And I kind of got really tired of, you know, walking into a final callback, what is like weeks and weeks of auditions, to walk into a room of four other people that look exactly like me. And now talent doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. This is where the favoritism steps in and all these other types of things. And that part of the entertainment industry really was wearing on me. It got to the point where it wasn't fun to look for the jobs anymore. And in the entertainment in industry, you're always trying to find the next thing or two things down the road. And that was just exhausting. And I wanted to be in an industry that really celebrated talent for talent's sake. And I think that is one of the things when I finally made that connection about the restaurant world, the kitchen world, that was so, so um, appealing to me is here's a place they could, the kitchen could care less if you are seven foot three or two foot six. They don't care your gender, your race, your age, your um, anything. They don't care. Can you do the work? Yes or no. That's what the kitchen cares about. And I saw that as a place where talent could really, really shine. I could bring a certain thing to the table and that would be celebrated as opposed to we love you, but you're 5'7 and the costume fits somebody who's 5'9 and three quarters. When you say talent, how would you define talent? 
in general and how would you define talent uh, in in your specific niche I think talent is a mixture of skill I think it's a mixture of technique I think talent then is also a um basically a combination of the skills and technique that you've learned and your personal experience that you can bring to that to allow that skill to sort of flourish with your own sort of personal stamp on it. I kind of believe that that's really what talent is. When you say personal stamp, do you think all the experiences you had before through your life are helping you actually in being even more talented now as a chef? Absolutely. I believe that experience is something that sort of can, for lack of a better term, make someone even more talented because it's through experience that you are implementing technique or skill and creating a final result. When I first set foot in culinary school, and I love to tell this story all the time, so please bear with me in case anyone out there has already heard it. Uh, <laughs> my first day of culinary school, I was petrified. Because up until this point in my life, I was Steve the dancer, I was Steve the entertainer. It was not only what I did, it was my identity. I did nothing else. And so all of a sudden, I've hung up my dance shoes, I've sort of, you know, closed down all of my social media because I don't want to see what my friends are doing on Broadway or anything like that. I, you know, canceled all of my subscriptions to... um you know, uh, casting websites and all of that. I wanted to start fresh. And I'm standing there in my white chef coat with a bunch of other people. We look like deer in headlights. And I'm thinking, I may have made the wrong decision. I don't know who I am anymore. And it just so happened that our chef instructor that day, who I never had again my entire time at culinary school, her name was Chef Tony. And in introducing herself, she told us that she had been a dancer with Alvin Ailey Company uh, before retiring and becoming a chef. So after the class was over, I just sort of pulled her aside and I was like, Chef Tony, I am having a really hard time figuring out how I can fit in here. I'm a Broadway kid. I went to ballet conservatory. I, you know, this is sort of my life. How was that transition for you? And do you have any, you know, tips for me? And she looked at me and she said, you will be excellent in this field. And here's why. As a dancer, you understand the importance of repetition. You understand the importance of muscle memory. You understand the importance of spatial awareness. You understand how to see something, recognize what needs to be done, and recreate that. That is what you need to be successful in the kitchen industry. You have not forsaken the dance studio. The kitchen is your studio now, and everything you knew before has the same aspects here. It's just the decor has changed. And as soon as she said that to me, it was like this light switch went off. You know, the clouds parted, the heavens descended, the whole thing. And culinary school actually was not easy, but it was comfortable for me because I didn't see it as something new. What I saw it was an opportunity to implement skills that I had been working my entire life towards just in a different aspect. What are the prerequisites for starting feeling that new 
realm, that new context, to immerse into into the art of food, of 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 being what you are today. I think one of the things you have to have first and foremost is the confidence in who you are as a human being. Because if you can stand by you, that means everything you can create, you can stand by as well. I think that that is sort of the first thing. Because when you know who you are, you can start to find your lane. And you can feel comfortable in that lane. But if you don't even really understand who you are as a human being, then how are you going to be able to create something? And how do you expect anybody to embrace the thing which you've created? Because it will just read as fake. It will read as phony. And you'll, you know, sort of wither away and die. And I think that that was the thing for me is why that moment in culinary school was so challenging. It wasn't necessarily because, you know, we were we were making like, you know, we were making tart dough that day. It, it wasn't rocket science. But... I didn't know who I was in that place anymore. And I didn't, I, I couldn't put my best foot forward until I knew who I was. And once I recognized that I wasn't anybody different, I was still always, I've always just been Steve, you know, Steve, the entertainer, Steve, the chef is just, you know, it's like, it's just the clothes I'm wearing, but I'm, you know, I'm always been me. So I needed to recognize once again, who I was. So then I could create things that were true and honest to me. And I think that that is, especially for somebody who's maybe trying to branch out on their own for the very first time, you know, you've been groomed, let's say in the, in the, in the kitchen industry, you've been groomed under, you know, Chef Fantastico for so long that you forget who, or you don't really, you haven't really discovered who you are yet because all you're doing is recreating Chef Fantastico stuff. So the first time you decide to step out on your own, you're not really creating your own things. You're creating that person's stuff and you're trying to kind of put your, your sort of spin on it, you have to approach it the other way. You have to know who you are and create things. Maybe they're inspired by Chef Fantastico, but they're now Chef You things. Two years prior to retiring from performing, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, he had stage four lymphoma. So we knew that we didn't have very much time. And um, that fall, I went home to help out because I grew up on a grain farm in the middle of nowhere, Canada, like the population, the closest town is 30 minutes away, population 90 people. Like that's where I come from. So I went home to help my father with the harvest that year. And I had a whole month. And at growing up, I hated the farm. I couldn't wait to get away from it. But I put my life on hold to be able to go back and help my father. And it was during that time, and my dad had always been so supportive of me. You know, it's not every every farmer that's going to say, yes, son, you're 20 years old. You can pack it up and move to New York. Here's 500 bucks. You know, best of luck to you. Nobody does that, but that's how my father was. 
you want to do this, I support you 100%. I don't think he really understood a lot of that aspect of my life. But he never wanted to squash my dreams. And I remember sitting with him one day when we were in the, the combine. And I was saying to him, I've been considering retiring from performing for a while, but I know how much you sacrificed in order to help me go to you know ballet school and, and all of this type of stuff. And I don't want it to feel like I'm turning my back on what I've done or my hard work or my sacrifice. And my dad just said, no matter what you do, you will be good at it. And so if this is where you want to go now, I support you and just do it. And I think that's what I needed. I needed someone to tell me it was okay to try something new. And this is something that I actually say a lot now to you know people that I come in contact with. You have to grant yourself permission to have a new dream and to follow that dream. And in so doing, you're not, you know, you're not saying I'm a failure or you're not, you know, turning your back on your other dreams. You're allowing yourself to pursue something else. A new path has emerged and you're saying, yes, I can take that path now and see what happens. And that, for me, was the moment that I needed. I wanted to give myself permission to do something else, but I was scared. So I needed somebody else to tell me, no, it's okay. And since then, it has not been scary for me. If a new dream comes, I 100% grant myself that permission to try something else, to see what happens. Because of the experiences that I've had in my life and the recognition that no matter what I do, I can be good at it because I know who I am. I know what I have to bring to the table. And so put the fear aside and just do it. Can you discuss some of the creative techniques that make your projects stand out from others. One of the things that I really try to do like in my baking and my creating is to sort of let the ingredients sort of, you know, shine for themselves. It's a very French uh, approach to food. It's actually a very European approach to food, really, in general, which is we have these amazing things. Let's treat them with the respect that they deserve and let them sort of shine. That's where seasonality really comes into play, because we all know that a raspberry outside of its season does not taste like a raspberry that was picked in the peak of its season. That's something that I kind of really try to do. So does the menu change a lot? Absolutely, it will because of what's available. What is seasonal? What is fresh? What is high quality? 
Um, so that's one of the things that I try to really implement in my baking. Another thing is just that kind of understanding of, as a pastry chef especially, my job is to understand what's happening sort of chemically. And Because let's face it, pastry chefs are 95% chemists with a artistic finish. That's what we are. The decorative aspect of our life, you know, cake decorating, showpieces, that type of stuff, is kind of the opposite. It's 95% artistic, but we have to have a scientific understanding um, in order to be able to create those great things. Uh, and if anyone doesn't believe that, then you just have to watch um, Chef Guichon a little bit with his chocolate work and understand there is a mastery of physics and, and architecture there can't create any of those amazing sculptures without that understanding. But if he doesn't have anything artistic to bring to the table, it's basically just a bunch of sticks and, and, and shapes. That artistry is what transforms that amazing education of understanding physics into something like breathtaking and gorgeous. So that is something that I kind of try to bring to my approach as well, understanding, you know, what's happening sort of at a chemical level within this recipe so that we're not going to make changes that will screw it up. Um, what are, where's our real sort of major flavor moments coming from? Again, in pastry, one of the things is butter. You know, am I letting that fat kind of come through? Am I letting the richness part come through? Is there a salty aspect here that I maybe want to highlight or not? Do I have tart notes to complement my sweet notes, that type of thing. Um, that's what culinary chefs are really, really good at, is building layers of flavor, having depth. And that's not something that is, um, I think it's not something that is experimented with enough in the pastry world. You know, there how many boring, boring chocolate cakes are there that are out there? Because it's chocolate upon chocolate upon chocolate. There's no contrast. There's no textural contrast. There's no flavor contrast. There's no nothing. And it just feels like you're eating, you know? So that's kind of another thing that I try to approach. Where can I build layers of flavor in something as simple as a brownie? Because at the end of the day, what is going to make my brownie different from the guy who's across the street or the gal three blocks down the road or the people in the neighboring town? A brownie is brownie. So what makes mine different? I may be developing layers of flavor. Maybe I'm kind of playing with a bit more of a textural contrast. It's more fudgy than cakey. It's more crispy on the top than sort of, you know, mushy type of thing. So those little things are something that I've always tried to pay attention to in what might feel like the most generic of products, your chocolate chip cookie, your blueberry muffin, you know, your, your brownie, your shortbread. Our shortbread recipe is one that I found in a cookbook that was published in 1890. Obviously no temperature, no nothing. And what I had to do is sort of read this and understand what's actually happening here. I'm taking soft flour, most likely our equivalent to cake flour, and I'm barely mixing it with some butter and sugar. So I'm getting some, you know, air pockets in there, making sure that I, since I only have three ingredients, I better have the best quality butter known to man. I better have a very good quality flour. You know, maybe I'm using a sugar that's a little bit more on the coarser grind than super, super fine. So I can create a little bit more air pocket. And then I'm baking it at a very, very sort of low temperature to get a bit of Maillard reaction, you know, crystallization or um, um, 
yeah, crystallization, but not a ton of it. And then I stole something that I read, uh, which the pastry chefs at Buckingham Palace do, which is as soon as the shortbread comes out of the oven, sprinkle it with a lot of sugar while the shortbread's still hot. So the sugar starts to slightly melt and adhere itself to the shortbread as it cools down. That's shortbread, you know, but that's sort of my approach to those types of things. Where can I do something that's going to set me apart a little bit more, even in what feels like the most mundane of things? Because if you can do something very easy, very well, then you obviously can do something that's even more complex very well also. How do you go about hiring restaurant employees? I do have a process where I kind of just want to get to know them as a person first. Because at the end of the day, we're going to be spending long hours together. You know, I need to know that you can do the skills. But I also need to know that, <laughs> that you're not going to kill me and that I'm not going to be sick and tired of looking at you or hearing the sound of your voice in three days. You know, I want to know that you are a real person and that you have potentially something to bring to the table so that we don't have this sort of, you know, army of similarities. I love the buffet of differences because everybody has, you know, something that they can bring to the table. And so that's what I kind of like to see first. Where might your spot at the table be? What experiences do you have in your life that gives you a fresh take or a fresh point of view on something else. And it might actually just be that you are the type of person that is open to learning new things. You're sort of this human sponge that you want to better yourself. So maybe the skills aren't all 100% there, but I can see the ability to learn and implement is there. And in some aspects, I would rather have that person than the person that comes to me with this laundry list of experiences and whatever, which also usually means a laundry list of bad habits. Tell us about the success you've had on the Food Network and and other shows. So my first appearance on Food Network, Holiday Baking Championship Season 2, available now on Discovery Plus and Hulu. <laughs> um, kind of, I guess, fell into my lap, for lack of a better term. Uh, I had been following a bunch of chefs on social media, as one does, and um, and I don't even remember who it was, but there was a chef that had posted, you know, major television show looking for pastry chefs. That was it. And I thought, what the hell? I'll apply, you know. At this point in, you know, our timeline, I had just bought a 150-year-old Victorian house with my husband. We were in the middle of renovations to turn it into our bed and breakfast, our catering uh, facility and, and all that type of stuff. So the business hadn't even really opened yet. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm applying for Food Network. Why, why not, right? You know, take a chance. And then a month later, I saw that same chef had posted again, but this time it gave more information. Food Network, look at did, you know, um, holiday show, all that type of stuff. So I submitted myself again, just in case. Um, and then I think it was about two weeks later that I got a call from casting and they're like, hey, we got your application, you're interesting. Um, tell us more about you. 
send us a five minute video, blah, 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 blah. And this is where the actor part of me started to kind of go, I recognize this. I've been through this process a million times. I know what to say. I know how to be interesting. I know how to, you know, sort of sell myself because that's what I had to do my entire acting career. And I think I had a series of maybe what felt like five or six different interviews with producers and da, 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 da. And at one point they kind of let it slip. Oh, you know, we're very interested and intrigued by you because of, you know, like your acting background. So we know you will know how to behave on camera and we know that you'll know how to project and we know that you'll be able to take direction. And I kind of, the wheels started turning in my head and I'm kind of going, oh, okay. And even said to my husband, I think after that, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've booked this show because, you know, casting people don't put this much energy into you time and time and time again, if they're not really interested. And then I did get the call to, you know, sort of go out to LA to film that. And this was in 2015. Um, and it was like my first day on set. They had us, they sat all of us around a table and I started looking at everybody and I was like, oh, you're the old lady. You're the Latin guy. You're the young doughy-eyed Southern belle. You're the crotchety one. I'm the gay. Okay, I get it. I saw the casting. And then the first, you know, when we're on set for the very first time and I'm seeing all the cameras going and whatever, and I'm like, this is a television show. This in the guise of a competition, but this is a television show. And so then I knew, I knew what to do. And of course, you know, as long as you don't burn the place down, if you were, if you're interesting and make good television and make some good things, don't get me wrong, they're going to keep you around, you know, but if it's between you and Mr. Boring in the bottom two, they're going to keep the one who's interesting. So I kind of had a couple of moments. I think it was my, the very first episode. Um, they were counting down five, four, three, two, one. And of course I was trying to, you know, show, cause there's all these people oh, I can bake too. You know, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just an actor. And I never told anybody that I was an actor. The rest of the cast never knew. Um, cause I was like, that's my thing. Everyone's like, oh, I've been doing this for so long and 30 years and words, words, blah, blah, blah. Peacocking. Like I have seen every single time. And uh, they're counting down five, four, three, two, one. And I forgot to put a couple of things on one of the plates. And I was defeated and angry. And so I sort of threw my towel down to the ground. And I was just kind of, you know, in myself for a second. And I heard the PA go, Steve's pissed. And I looked up and literally every camera in the entire place had swarmed me. And I was like, oh, you want a moment? then I will give you a moment. And so I lived in that a little bit longer than a human being would have. But the actor in me goes, no, you have to hold this beat a little bit more. You have to let it land. You have to make the connection. And so then I did that. And I, you know, I got to stick around a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And then I started making interesting things. And then I started kind of, you know, like sometimes they'd be like, hey, it's quiet in the kitchen. Can you like you know, do a little dance number. Sure. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I made it to, to the very, to the finale of that show. And what was interesting is, you know, I came back from that. Our business had barely opened and I had to sit on this for like three months that I'm going to be on this national television show that I will make it to the finale. I've got eight episodes of airtime 
Uh, and we did this really amazing thing where the, the, the town, everybody came together at the local pub and we would watch the Food Network episode, uh, you know, in this little pub. And then at the end, when it's like, oh, Steve's here for another week, then I'd be like, should we do this again next week, everybody? And and it, and we had this whole sort of, you know, like the town really, really got behind us. And it was a great thing that sort of helped our business to grow. And, you know, it was just this wonderful gift, you know, um, would we have grown as quickly as we did without that? Probably not. But we took that moment and we ran with it for sure. And then I was invited back to, you know, kind of participate in, in another single sort of episode. And then I was invited back yet again to do a gingerbread competition, um, Haunted Gingerbread Showdown Season 1. If anybody wants to check that out. And that one for me was my favorite, not just because I, spoiler alert, I won, um, <laughs> but because it was my third time, right, in the television world. And so that part was very, very comfortable. And in the first episode, you know, I'm kind of looking around and I could tell that the other competitors hadn't been in timed or televised kind of competition fashion. So I knew how to pace myself. I knew that uh, this is television. So you have to have something that's visually appealing. You need a dramatic moment because the show's kind of writing itself as it goes along. So you have to have all of those types of things. And then when I made it to the finale, I sort of was like, okay, in planning my final show piece, I need to have something that's going to look really, really cool on camera. I need to have detail because we love that sort of zoom in moment. I need to have something that's visually appealing from, you know, the pullback type of moment. I made a gingerbread boat and I floated it on water. Because I'm like, that's the moment for television, right? This is food. Food shouldn't float. And I'm like, that's going to be the thing that is going to kind of seal the deal. So it was, um, I, I had this knowledge, I had this experience to elevate my talent, right? Like we sort of talked about before, talent really is sort of experience and technique when they're implemented together. So it was an opportunity to sort of let that shine because I knew what to do. I knew how to do the things I was there to do. And I knew how to showcase them in their best light. And as long as, you know, <laughs> we didn't burn the kitchen down or, uh, you know, great disaster that everything fell apart, but I knew what I was doing. So I knew it wasn't going to fall apart. You know, like it was just, it was this, fantastic experience that I loved every second of it. And, um, you know, a little cash money never hurts anybody either. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was, um, that was kind of, you know, sort of my, some of my food network experiences. And then that allowed us to kind of go, maybe let's try something on our own. And so then my YouTube channel, the sweet life of Steve was created as well. And that was an opportunity for me to tell my story the way I wanted to tell it. You know, because we don't often get that chance. And I wanted to have that. It's interesting. I find myself yet again in one of those places that we sort of talked about. I find myself in that moment where a new path has arrived and I need to grant myself permission in order to do that. And that's something that I did. It wasn't scary to do. It was very, very difficult to have to kind of be able to close the doors on the business, something that you kind of grow from nothing.
Um, but I took a chance. I stepped into, you know, into a new and into a new role. And so now I am an instructor. And I think that it came at the right time because I had all that experience, right? I had all of these things that have happened to me. And now it's my chance to sort of impart that to a new generation of chefs. A lot of people that are kind of in the boat that I was, they're career changers. They want to try something new and they need somebody to tell them it's okay. You can grant yourself permission to have a new dream and to follow that dream. And so right now, that's what I do. I'm a chef instructor for the Escoffier School of Culinary Arts. We have ground campuses and we have an online program. And I am an instructor for, you know, the online program. I teach pastry, but I also teach entrepreneurship. I teach leadership. I teach business development. And I get to take a lot of the things that I've learned and a lot of the things that I have seen in my experiences working for other people and share that with a brand new generation. And I love it. And I'm so excited to be able to do that. What's the next step? Who knows? But what I do know is I am not afraid to grant myself permission to have yet maybe another dream or to follow another path because I know who I am and I know what I can bring to the table. And in so doing, I kind of have this, this uh, sort of um, version of the world, right? Bring it on. Look at everything that I have done up until this point. Look at everything that I've been able to overcome or succeed at. So I know no matter what I do next, I'll also be good at it because of everything that I've done up until this point. And hopefully somebody else out there that's maybe listening that is in that moment, right? You're standing there. Grant yourself permission to have a new dream and to follow that dream and surprise yourself by the things that you'll be able to accomplish. Twenty-first Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.